0: Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we're going to record the first of at least two episodes dealing with the latter portion of James chapter five. Beginning in James 5, 13, there are some things written that cause a lot of angst and confusion for many Christians. We're told there that if people are sick, they should call for the elders to come and pray for them and anoint them with oil, and they will be healed. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise this person up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Simple question, how are we supposed to understand that? The prayer for healing, we're going to talk about that today on the regular episode. And then over in SR, John and I are going to continue that conversation and go in depth more about hermeneutics and how we go about interpreting Bible. Stay tuned. A simple and easy way for you to help support Theocast each month is by shopping at Amazon through the Amazon Smile program. When you make a purchase through Amazon Smile, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to our ministry. To learn how to sign up, just go to theocast.org give. Welcome to Theocast, Encouraging Weary Pilgrims to Rest in Christ, conversations about the Christian life from a confessional, reformed, and pastoral perspective. Your hosts today are John Moffitt, who's pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and I'm Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We are meeting on a Wednesday morning, John, to do another double dip recording. We're starting to do a little bit more of this because we're all about efficiency these days. In trying to get as much accomplished in as brief of a span of time as we can. Our churches are growing. The podcast is also, and we want to steward our time well. That's right. There's a good good Christian word for everybody, steward. (laughs) So today, what we're hoping to do is record two episodes around the latter portion of James chapter five. There's some confusing stuff in that section of scripture, things that trip up saints left and right folks are not sure what to do with various things that are said, particularly in James 5, 13 and following. So we're going to begin in this first episode talking about praying for healing Mm. and how the prayer of faith will heal the person who is sick is how our English translations render it. And so we're hopeful that this is going to be helpful and clarifying for people Mm. and will help people rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. So John, you've recently preached through James. Yeah. So you can tee this up well for people and help them understand what exactly we're going to be discussing.
1: Yeah, James has been a fun book. Uh, we'll put the link in the notes below and we've covered some other sections of James on the podcast, but this last section, Justin, like chapter two when it's dealing with faith and works, this mm-hmm. last few verses have caused so much confusion, heartache, and pain. So we want to just begin by saying uh, we're, we're here to liberate those who I think right have right. been under the weight and the shame. There's a lot of shame. Like, well, if I had more faith, if I would have obeyed well, then God would have healed who it is I was praying for or God would have healed me. Justin and I've been together for three years now doing this podcast. We're going on three years and uh, we've gotten emails from people about, oh, man, I was just told last week by my pastors that if I would have enough faith, you know, my sickness would go away. And uh, it's really debilitating and, mm-hmm. Um, I've met people who are bitter against God, who don't trust God because of these verses. Yeah. So we we walk into this podcast today with very humble hearts, very soft hearts, knowing that there you might want to share, you might be sharing this with somebody who has gone through a an a, a tense trial. Like no one goes sure. to this section of James that's in a um. It's on the highlight of their life, you know, You know, when you're doing well, you don't read the last part of James. It's when you're in your Job moment that you find yourself, which is why James even mentions Job at the very end of the book.
0: Or at a minimum, you're trying to process those Job moments to use your phrase.
1: Right. You know? So we want to do what James's intention was, was to bring encouragement. And unfortunately, we uh, have been confused by some of the translation that has happened. And so we're going to do our best to uh, exegete this passage for you and then help you find the true meaning of the passage, which should lead you to rest and hope instead of leading you to despair. So the whole entire letter, just to summarize in about five seconds, James is dealing with (laughs) That's a lot. I can do it. Watch this. James is dealing with Christians who have... Uh, fled Jerusalem under persecution, and he says to the twelve tribes, and so that's mm-hmm. the context. Suffering Christians. See, it did it. Five seconds. <laughs> it might have been ten, it was well I, uh, you know, ish. Well done. <laughs> ish. Uh, and these poor churches, man, they are eating each other alive because of fear, anxiety. They have forgotten the gospel. So many times James has to remind them, I mean, James 1, 15, 16 and 17, God has granted to you everything according to his sovereign divine yeah. will. Uh, if you lack wisdom, let him ask, uh, You know, let the lowly man boast in his exaltation. He has given them so many reasons to trust in the sufficiency of God, but in still they're trusting in their circumstances. So their mouths, their actions, yeah, are each other. Yeah, that's what I was. Getting.
0: There's a lot of partiality. There's mm-hmm. a lot of clearly harmful language, destructive language against which, for example, Paul would have written in Ephesians four, mm-hmm. like "Don't speak this way." Yep. And there's a lot of fighting and quarreling amongst them. James four. That what a great section that is. Those early verses of James four, and right. where do these things come from, and all that stuff. And yet the Lord gives more grace, right? So,
1: oh man, when he says yeah. that, he literally says, "You are treating me like a whore." Like a prostitute, like you, you it literally says you're adulterating yourselves. Yeah. And he goes, you know, his response is James is not this angry shepherd who only understands law. He uses law to give grace because what does he say? But he gives more grace, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. So this tender shepherd is exposing the fear and anxiety that is in their hearts, which is devouring each other. And he's saying you should be unifying yourself Mm -hmm. and you're not. Well, enough persecution and enough sin can cause one to at the end of the book, which we we'll, might get to sometime later down the road, wander from the truth. Mm-hmm. And so James is dealing with this whole idea at the end that those who may not have endured the trials well. They haven't really rested and trusted in the sufficiency of God. And they've maybe given in, as it says in chapter one, to their temptations, Mm -hmm. which is from their own sinful desires. I mean, chapter four, why do you bite and devour each other? Is it not because your passions are at war with you? So he uses this phrase. We'll just read this last section of James and starting in verse 13, he says, any among you suffering, let him pray. Is any among you cheerful, let him sing praise. So he's closing the letter down, his sermon down. He's dealing with all these different types of people, which at this point we understand. He says, if you're suffering, he points you to prayer, which is what he says in the beginning of the letter. He says, if you lack wisdom in the midst of your suffering, ask God and he'll give you meekness and gentleness and patience. And then he says this, he gives us a different category of people, suffering, joyful, and then he says sick. Now, Justin, there's a a struggle here and that sometimes we don't realize that every translation. I'll say this and you can explain what I mean to the to the listener. Every translation is an interpretation. And that's hard for us to understand because if you don't speak multiple languages, you won't understand what we mean by that. But when I say every translation is an interpretation, what do I mean?
0: It just means in bringing one language across into another, inevitably you're faced with decisions that you've got to make about how best to render a word or a phrase or an idiom or things like this, because a lot of times if you just literally bring one word over, well, this word means this, and this word means this, and this word means this, you actually lose the sense of what was communicated in the original language. Right, and so, but also, like, just to give an illustration of what we mean here too, like in English, we can use one word to mean a number of different things. The same is true in other languages. For example, in this case, Koine Greek, and so one must do. That kind of interpretive work. What was the author in the original language meaning to convey and communicate here by using this word, this phrase, this in this syntax, in this context, etc.? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, all translation is interpretation. It's not just a simple wooden one word to one word, and we get the sense of it. That's not how it works. Yeah,
1: right. And a good example of this. Of um, I used this in, in a sermon, and I thought it was quite funny. Uh, when you have different companies trying to market in different countries, so Mercedes-Benz is marketing in China, and so they translated, you know, Mercedes-Benz to Benzai, B-E-N-S-I, which meant "rush to die," which oh. is not the ideal name for the car of the company, right? So they ended up changing it to Benchy, and that meant "run quickly as if flying," mm. <laughs> but the, you know, the the A much uh, better image right but it still wasn't as a clean translation right Right. and so we have to understand that these translations aren't always as clean as we want them to be and this is why sometimes looking at the context looking at multiple translations can be helpful here
0: and a brief interjection to uh like you said context syntax what's being communicated by the author is a big part of this too because sometimes people will I think rely too heavily on concordance or word study where they'll just look at well here's what this word means this often mm-hmm. and it's like yeah that's fine and useful up to a point but there's a lot going on in terms of how we should understand a particular word and how it's used in a particular context mm-hmm. so your concordance is one tool amongst a number that you're going to need because hermeneutics the. The study of interpretation, the method of interpretation, is far more involved than just simply getting out something that says, "Well, this word means this, or it could mean this, or it could mean this." Right. And usually, when it occurs this way, it means this. It's mm-hmm. like, well, that's helpful, but only up to a point. So, that's I just right. want to try to set some people free with that. Yeah. As well. Right. And the reason, yeah.
1: the reason why we're taking so much time with this particular word is that this word triggers how you will translate the rest of. Context And the word in particular is the one that's rendered sick. That's right. In
0: James 5.14.
1: Right. So what we're going to do is take that particular word and ask ourselves, does he mean sick physically or how else can this be translated? Not just in these sections of verses, but the entire letter. Uh, If you take that same word and look, look, look how Paul used it. A good example of this is that uh, it can be translated as weak or feeble, or it could be, be without strength or powerless. So like in Romans 8.3, Paul says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So he there it's translated weak.
0: That's great because that yeah. has a clear spiritual connotation.
1: It does. Right. Or 1 Corinthians 8.9, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And he means mm-hmm. spiritually weak there. Of course he does because yeah. he's
0: talking about food sacrificed to idols in that mm-hmm. context.
1: So we have two contexts where we can say, okay, it has been translated as weak and spiritually weak is the context of what's being meant there. So <clears throat> when we look at what's then follows in the verses, uh, this is what comes, he says in among you, and let's, let's, Understand, he means weak here, spiritually weak. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, here again, Justin, uh, context is really helpful. Uh, who you know, James is writing to. We've already known he's writing to really a Jewish. Um, congregations who have fled from Jerusalem and the reason why we know that it's Jewish is that he has made one word references throughout his entire letter he will just say job or he will just say Elijah or he'll he'll just mention things without giving any context well you can't do that in a letter if you don't think these people are going to understand what you mean right so throughout the entire letter James has been writing, to a, a congregation that he knows they under, because he'll even say liberated by the law of liberty. Well, they have to know what the law is in order for him mm-hmm. to say the law of liberty. So they would understand that oil has always, in the Old Testament, been a symbol of the Holy Spirit, a symbol of God's presence. So I don't think there's a healing nature here physically, and I don't even think there's a spiritual nature here. I do believe it's a, it's an, for this particular culture, these people in this church they would understand that hey as the elders come and they're praying for them and you put the oil on this to remind them this is the power of the spirit through prayer that's going to bring whatever the result is we're going to get to here in just a minute
0: and i mean i know the word anointing is in verse 14 but that's what is really associated with oil in the old testament context right it is you know the anointing the blessing you know the presence of god's spirit in a benevolent good empowering way is what oil is representative of right uh in the old testament yeah so yeah i'm agreeing with you just kind of maybe saying it
1: in a yeah no and i think that's a that's a helpful observation so the result is uh let's keep reading he says that uh and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven uh so we have to kind of then the result is this: so, like, uh, so they're weak. They call for the elders. Um, then they use uh, oil and prayer, but a specific thing in prayer. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of unpack everything, and then I think we're gonna work our way backwards because there's so many things that James is doing here. He says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It's interesting that he says that specifically the prayer of faith, uh, because I mean, Justin, uh, uh, did the children of Israel always pray to God? Yes. No, they prayed to other gods. My, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. That was a trick question. I'm sorry. That was a trick. That was a trick question. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, the point of it was is that the act of prayer wasn't necessarily uh, only for Yahweh. And so, I think James, what he's saying is, for sure, when you come, I was reading
0: the text and was kind of partly heard what you said. I I just heard. It's all good. My bad.
1: I got that. So, what James is saying is that he's saying when you realize this person is weak in their faith they're they're weak in their strength in trusting the lord sure. if you go on their behalf trusting by faith and what he means by this the faith in the god to whom they are trusting weaken
0: sure i mean yeah faith in the lord Right. The promise making, promise keeping, covenant God. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. So and it's it's interesting that he says that because it's the point of it is not, because I want you to notice what the healing, where the healing power comes from. The point of it is not in the prayer. It's not the prayer that does it, right? right? It's God because it's the prayer of faith. So their faith is in God's power to heal this person. Justin, so many times people put it in the healing nature of the individual's prayer. It's not. It's not the healing individual nature of that person's prayer. It's the prayer, because what is it saying? Why, why would it say faith? What are what are you trusting in? You have to be putting your faith in something, and that faith is in God. And so this person is weak in faith. This person on their behalf comes and prays in faith for that individual. And just to unpack it, and then we'll go backwards, it says uh, the, he, the, the one who was weak or the one who was sick will be saved I think what he means by that is that they, the, the, what, is the, what does weakened faith normally lead one to, Justin? It normally leads someone to doubt what? Doubt their salvation, doubt whether they're truly of God. If you're new to
0: Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Sure. I mean, yeah, difficulty, whether it's, whether it is circumstantial or whether it is just something that's more internal mm-hmm. in terms of mind and heart weakness. Right. I mean, there's a number of different things that could be meant here. But yeah those things cause us to doubt and wrestle with all kinds of things including our identity as a child of God mm-hmm. because so often we we may on the one hand say okay God you've told me that I'm your kid and you've said a lot of good things but then my life and the world I live in and everything I'm going through is speaking a very different word to me and so now I'm I'm not so sure and I'm mm-hmm. questioning things I know that I'm to live by faith but everything that I'm seeing and perceiving is just not resonating with what you've said to me hmm. and so yeah hundred percent i would just make a brief comment too uh, whenever we we talk about faith I, I think it's important to discuss what faith even is in the first place like by definition it is a looking away from oneself to the object of your faith hmm. and so that matters here just like we talk about all the time when it pertains to our justification the lord declaring us just in his sight it it has everything to do not with the quality of our faith, but with the object of our faith, who is Christ for us. The same would be true here. The emphasis is not on the quality of the individual's faith. The emphasis is on the object of the individual's faith, who is the Lord, who is the one who restores and raises up.
1: Hmm. That's really good. So the final promise and hope he gives him is, and the Lord will raise him up. Well, that's that's our greatest desire, right? Is that on the last day, we will be raised to be, to newness of life. Can I briefly interject this to? Sure. like
0: because obviously what we're saying is that James five, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen should be understood in a spiritual way, mm-hmm. that there are spiritual things going on here, and that the word rendered sick should should be rendered, we think, as weakness, and it would be a better representation of what's going on. We're going to talk about that in the context of James on the the whole, probably here in just a second. But I think the fact that at the end of verse 15, you have the talk of forgiveness of sins is a dead giveaway. that What we're talking about here is a spiritual matter. Yeah, because if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, now we're talking about the forgiveness of sins. And that clearly is a spiritual matter. That's right. And lest we immediately draw straight lines from sin to sickness because some people might say, well, yeah, because the sin in that person's life has made them sick. It's like, well, we, we've got to be really careful biblically in doing that. Sometimes particular sins do lead to particular suffering and, and discipline in the hands of God, but not always mm-hmm. because Jesus, for example, blows that notion up in Luke 13, talking about the Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate, talking about the people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell. He also blows it up in John 9. You know why is this man blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? Neither one, actually. So, just we just have to be thoughtful. That's right. Uh, so that again, I think the best understanding of the second part of verse fifteen is that we've got spiritual matters going on here, and the weakness and the healing that's in view is of a spiritual nature.
1: That's right, and it's a guaranteed. So this is where to we're going to reverse and go back up to the top, and and kind of look at the negative, and then I have got some thoughts about even the community, like. Uh, those of you who are weak aren't supposed to figure this out on your own. James' conclusion is no, your restoration happens outside of yourself. But we'll get to that, and probably in the SR. But uh, for the next, you know, ten minutes or so, Justin, uh, one of the one of the issues here is that I find great confidence in this interpretation because I can say, "Wow, God is the one who guarantees the salvation and restoration of His children," and that's what is meant here. But if you mean this to be physical. All right, So those of you who are sick physically with cancer or some kind of a sickness and you call for the elders and they put oil on your head and they pray for you, you will be healed. Well, that's a massive problem because how many people haven't been healed? Well, then whose fault is it? It's not the faith of the person sick. It's the faith of the elders. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of elders who do this and then like nothing happens. I mean, there's a few examples of where people have seen some kind of a temporal healing. But let me ask you this, Justin. I mean, how many people have been healed in the Bible and they still died? That's not ultimate healing because James says they will be raised up on the last day. That's a guarantee, right? Well, I was going to say even
0: the language of being raised up also in verse 15, my mind immediately goes to John chapter six, for example, That's right. where Jesus talks about I will raise them up, and on the last day, to be raised up. In the vernacular of the New Testament, is also a spiritual term. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with, I mean, sometimes regeneration, but but more often than not, it has to do with resurrection and final salvation. Mm -hmm. And so, I think even that is helpful to us as well to say that God will raise up this person and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Again, we're clearly talking about salvation realities and spiritual realities, forgiveness realities.
1: Yeah. 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 And so I I have to go back and just think through the whole of the New Testament and then we're going to go back and look at James. But as an example, Paul himself, I think Paul had enough faith and enough godly men around him. And yet God said, no, my grace is sufficient to get you through whatever it is, this trial that he endured.
0: And briefly, you're talking about Second Corinthians 12. Mm-hmm. Great passage. Mm-hmm. I agree. Paul didn't lack faith. And Paul cried out multiple times that this thorn in the flesh would be removed. And the Lord said, no.
1: That's right. Uh, yeah. Paul left a dear brother in a city and moved on because that brother was sick. And he asked people to pray for him that he might be restored. But there, if, if if this is common practice and it should be done, it's like, well, why wouldn't have Paul known to do this? Right? Sure. So that, that's where things get a little complicated because you have people who are dying. Hey, Justin, think about it this way too. I mean, just from a healing standpoint, when Jesus went to the pool of Siloam, he didn't heal everybody at the pool. I mean, people don't yeah. stop and think about that. He only, well, yeah. it was only that man who had faith. You know, that's why the only one that heal right. healed him. And we just forget And I think James, I'm going to go back to the beginning of James. James is a great example of what life is in a broken, fallen, sinful world, right? James is saying, you are going to suffer trial. And trial is not like a short period of time. Your trial might be your entire life might be this trial. And how does he start? James starts with the promise of God is not going to abandon you. He is only going to use this trial to strengthen and steady your faith.
0: Agree, I, the hundred percent of several comments, and I hope I can remember all of them because my I've got a lot of stuff popcorn around in my head thinking about the New Testament and somewhat James. Back really quickly to Second Corinthians twelve, like if we think that faith, and then praying to God in faith, is going to necessarily change our circumstances in this life, mm-hmm. we have all kinds of problems. Yeah, biblically speaking, and Second Corinthians twelve is a great example because you have a man who has a vision of the third heaven you've got a man who is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ incredibly instrumental in the founding of the church uh, wrote a significant portion of the new testament who clearly has faith we would understand him to be a godly man all of these kinds of things so he's upright and he has faith and he's pleading with the lord take this away and the lord says no because my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness and paul says therefore i will boast all the more in my what weakness, weakness yeah and he talks about, you know, trials, calamities, all kinds of things. I'm going to rejoice in these things, because the Lord is with me, and His grace is with me in all of this. And so that's the perspective that we're called to have. That's significant. Another observation from the New Testament regarding faith and circumstance is Hebrews chapter 11, where we are told that all of the individuals in question had faith. But then there's a section of Hebrews 11 where the writer makes very plain that some people were delivered from persecution and suffering and pain and others were sawn into and eaten by lions and all kinds of oh, other consider things that the they prophets all when he says were that were yeah. of faith that's right so again you can't say biblically speaking if you have faith then that will mean a b or c for your mm. circumstance because it does not work like that and we're going here i'm just going to go ahead and say it because mm. it seems stupid not to we are called ultimately our faith and our trust in the lord is not ultimately for this life Mm-mm it is ultimately for the next one yes we have hope and we have peace and we have rest and we have all those kinds of things in our souls now because of christ and the promises of god to us in him but ultimately these things are going to be realized in the life to come and this is how we're to live and think and i and when we make such an emphasis on this life and temporal healing and all these kinds of things or even just temporal circumstance we're just becoming earthbound in our theology, which we have talked about so many times on this show before, and we're all prone to do that.
1: Hmm. I mean, just quoting James 5.8, a few verses before 13, uh, he says, Be patient, establish your hearts, for the, Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So the point of it is, is that he starts the ending of his letter with, listen, the trial is coming to an end. Keep your focus there. Establish your heart in Christ, Uh, because just before that, he talks about, I'll just go back up and read it. He's giving an example. He says, um, yeah, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient. So he's, he's using all these examples of being patient. Well, why would he do that and then go to healing after that? I think what he's dealing with is no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, the the hope of it is, is that uh, we will be finally restored, but not now. We, we are looking exactly. to that resurrection and that, that final day of resurrection. So for those of you that have been struggling and thinking to yourself, well, I could be liberated. I could be set free if I just simply had enough faith or if I believed longer or harder, whatever circumstance you want to put yourself into, I don't think the entire letter of James has ever was intended to do that. He is always giving examples of, this is why he even says, in the midst of your trial, and I think trial literally means of any kind, because a trial means to go without if you're lacking Mm -hmm. something, right? So uh, no matter what your trial might be, God is there faithfully sustaining you and keeping you strong. And then what I love what James does is he's like, listen, you can pray for wisdom and he'll give that to you in the midst of yeah. a trial and you can pray for grace and you can pray because for he's mercy. Good. That's right. And, good and when gifts, you stumble yeah. and you fall, you can um, realize there's more grace and you can go and ask Uh, You can draw near to God and he will draw. I mean, there's so much that's happening here. And then he's like, by the way, when you are selfish and in the flesh, you bite and devour each other. And so what's so encouraging here is that James doesn't leave us without hope. He doesn't just say, hey, toughen it up, bucko, you know, deal with it. He gives us power, supernatural power. I love this. When someone finds, I'm going to back, now I'm going to back up to the beginning, Justin, when someone finds themselves in the deepest, darkest, like they're, they are bitter at God, they're weak in faith, they just feel cold and distant. You know what James says? All right, here's your list of things you need to do. Call the elders. <laughs> here's your list of things to do. Call for help. Amen. But what do we do to the weak and frail? What do we we yell at them and we scream at them and we we cast judgment upon them. And I just love that James is saying, listen, if you find yourself in this place, the, the what you need is the power of prayer. What you need yeah. are godly people to come and pray the well, yeah. gospel I mean, call, over you.
0: Call call for the people who have been entrusted with the care of your soul. That's right. And have them pray for you. Mm. Yeah. Agree. Really quick, I want to observe something from James one. You touched on it too, that also should help us in thinking about this section. When James talks about considering it joy when we encounter trials of various kinds, we've made this clear before. What is the Lord doing through all those trials? He's producing steadfastness in us. Well, what is steadfastness? It's trusting Christ and the promises of God in spite of circumstance. And then we're told James one twelve that the Lord will give the crown of life to those, you know, whom he whom he loves, right? And um, the crown of life obviously is an eternal thing. You know that's a salvific reality too. And so we are really, really misguided if we then all of the sudden, when James has been talking about all of these eternal realities, you're going through really hard things in this life, but here's why you can consider it joy because God's at work in you, producing steadfastness, and He's going to give you the crown of life.
1: Mm. That's uh, so good,
0: right? And now, now we're talking about. All, I guess, you know, some say we're talking about physical sickness in James five. When, when we've got all this language of forgiveness and being raised up in here mm-hmm. and that coupled with the fact that the word rendered sick is often rendered weak to me yeah. is, is kind of open and shut brother. Well, and even, I've been encouraged even just talking about it today Yeah, with you. I hope the listener has too, but I, I want you to give the thought that's on your mind.
1: Well, yeah, just as kind of a closing thought and including preparing for our conversation that. Lord willing, we might have next week. Well, in a few minutes. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about it. We're the not quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the listener shall understand. Uh, James, right after this, he says, "Therefore," and right, you always have to ask, "What's the therefore?" Yeah. Therefore, so he's concluding this <laughs> yeah. section. He says, "Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed." Well, this, again, I think is a huge red flag, throwing it up in the air, saying this is not dealing with physical healing because sin, what does sin cause? Sin causes fractures between not only our relationship between God, but each other. The whole letter, James is dealing with fractures against each other. They They are showing partiality. They're lying to each other. They're literally taking each other to court. It's horrible what they're doing to each other. And James is saying, You need to confess what you have done, not only before God, but to each other, and then use this power of prayer. So I want you to understand it's not just the elders that are praying for each other, but Mm -hmm. we ourselves, the congregation, which is why the church, I believe, for 2,000 years has practiced prayer of confession. Because we need that healing nature, you know. Our church, I know, does it. Justin, I know your church does it. Where every Sunday we stand collectively, all of our voices together, mm-hmm. and we confess to God and to each other we have failed and we need forgiveness, mm-hmm. so that we might be not only healed in our soul to receive what it, you know that guilt and shame that we often feel. That's mm-hmm. the healing he's talking about. We can feel the relationship that we have wandered from God. We feel that restoring nature, but also mm-hmm. with each other
0: amen brother a lot of good things to consider here and yeah, I just maybe some closing thoughts I uh, I think we I mentioned this earlier. we're so prone to think about our faith and and its value in this life and we shouldn't do that. Mm. Romans eight is very clear that we hope for something that we can't see that we're awaiting our final redemption, you know our, the redemption of our bodies. Mm. this is what We believe, and this is what we are looking to. In 1 Corinthians 15, if we believe in Christ for this life only, you know, if our faith in him is for this life only, we are above all people most to be pitied. Because it's clear that the Christian life, the promises are not that this life is going to be great Mm. or that this life is going to be epic or that you won't suffer here. It's that the next life is going to be perfect. That's right. And may the Lord give us grace to trust in, in the promises He's made and to hope for things that are unseen. Mm. It's supernatural, you know. So, man, yeah, we are just in need, just, brother.
1: We don't need to gorge yeah. ourselves because this is all we get. We are clearly just right. sustaining ourselves in Christ because the best is yet to come. So, Amen. don't don't that, don't waste our time with this.
0: And so much of a godly perspective is tethered to this. That's mm. so good. Yeah. All right, we're going to continue the conversation over in SR as we like to call it. SR stands for Semper Reformanda, which is an additional ministry kind of thing that we have going on. Mm -hmm. and It's an additional podcast that we record each week, John and I, for people who have partnered with Theocast. So to be a Semper Reformanda member means that you've partnered with Theocast to support us in various ways, uh, including financially, but praying for us and praying with us and working alongside us to see this message spread as far and wide as possible. And so John and I are headed that direction to record this additional podcast to go perhaps a little bit more in depth, maybe just talk a little bit more personally. We're not quite sure where this particular SR episode is going to go. If you would like to be able to listen to this additional content, you can find out more information about our membership over on our website, theocast.org. If you become an SR member too, you get to be a part of the SR community and we even have an app. How cool is that? I mean, if you don't have an app, is it even legitimate, John, in our day and age? Let's be real. (laughs) And so we have an app app, where people can interact with one another. There's all kinds of great content being posted. It's a really sweet community. There's not a lot of nonsense going on. People are not shock jocks over there. They don't ridicule each other, but just trying to help one another trust and rest in Christ. So if that sounds good to you, become an SR member. So we'll talk with many of you over there on the SR podcast. If you're not going to listen to that one, Sorry for that. We'll talk with you in the regular format again next week. Grace and peace.
1: Well, and just let them know next week, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be covering the prayer required, or what What was what, what, uh Prayer requires righteousness. The prayer of a righteous man. What does that mean? So stay Yeah, the prayer that.
0: of a righteous man. How much righteousness do you need for God to hear you and answer your prayers? Next Next
1: week.